I know. Hey, I started with my singing straw, y'all. I mean, why not, right? Geek, vocal <laughs> geek that I am. I don't think I don't think I've ever used a singing straw. They're they're really amazing. There are a lot of different manufacturers of them, but I believe that the that the science behind them was developed by the physicist Ingo Tietze, who's quite renowned in pedagogy circles, voice teachers, speech pathologists, voice therapists. But straw phonation, there's science behind it. And um, although there are some Broadway singers that do come on to social media and say that they do not, they are not on board with straw phonation, but you can get it done a lot of ways, but yeah. Do you just go, <laughs> yeah, you just blow through. Welcome back to the Theater World Podcast. Yes, welcome. My name's Noah Bender. And I'm Zandra Nemchik. And our guest this week is a professional voice and acting instructor who specializes in working with young singers, the founder of collegeauditionmentors.com, and has starred as Christine Daae in The Phantom of the Opera, opposite Michael Crawford. Please welcome Tamara Glazer. Woo! Thank you so much. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Excellent. Welcome. I love that. That was such a clean introduction. Wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. What what questions do you have for me? Yes. Well, it's all about, you know, synthesizing your personality. Like I feel like as a call tradition mentor, one of the th one of the necessary things of doing an, uh, a call tradition is synthesizing who you are in mm -hmm. in a short Letting interview your personality transcend can you talk about how you get your clients there with that yes i i think i think i would be focusing on the this the student developing their personal statement about themselves and showing their personality outside of the characters that they're presenting in their right songs potentially in monologues in the interview process and being prepared to show that personality prior to singing prior to doing a monologue while slating or potentially in an interview mm. yeah. what i find that colleges do look for noah is they do want the student to have typed themselves to an extent and to actually be singing their character, doing their monologue in the context of the greater body of the work, as opposed to making it about themselves. Does what that do make mean sense? By that? Well, um, plays, musicals, operas. Um, at, well, I can harken back to uh, an acting teacher that I studied with, Milton Justice. He's, he's still out there uh, teaching, a Stella Adler teacher. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I started with classes with him in LA, I was already seasoned at that time and had worked professionally. I remember doing a monologue for him at the introductory class. And at the end of it, he said to me, you know, Tamara, that was very interesting. There's just one problem. And I said, well, Milton, what, what is that? And he said, well, this play wasn't written about you. Oh. So mm. is it like about a, t a detachment of yourself? It, it was, no, it's actually doing the work, analyzing the greater piece and really trying to get to the, to the 
the intentions of the librettist, the playwright, the composer, and the greater idea of the work and understanding that you as the actor are pretending to right. be someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So my approach You're to putting acting yourself is into the character rather than grafting it onto who you already are. That is well said, is exactly so. So I think because young students don't have as much life experience mm -hmm. always yeah. as, as more mature actors, I think that part of the process uh, that I put my students through is helping them to come up with systems so that they learn how to do text analysis, script analysis. They learn how to, how to they, they do a lot of writing um, mm -hmm. about whole facts, reading the play over and over and over, reading other plays or musical librettos by the same composer. Mm -hmm. um, and this really, I have to say, does harken back to my training um, at the University of Michigan. So I do have a BFA in musical theater mm -hmm. from U of M. Yes, it is easier to get into Harvard now than into that program. Ooh, la -di -da. Um, la -di -da. <laughs> uh, it was it wasn't that way when when I was in the program. Sure. Though I was yeah, an original I was it's an original. So hard. Uh, but Professor Emeritus Professor Brent Wagner, who created the program there, he really is the father of BFA musical theater programs in this country. Mm -hmm. So much of what we, so much of our time spent with him during the week in um, musical theater audition prep class was you you weren't you were never allowed really to just get up and sing a full song or a thirty two sixteen bar extrapolation or cut of that song it was really about the scene work before and after yeah mm -hmm. i feel like whenever i see like young musical theater performers on social media or or just like on the internet singing it feels like they're doing like the american idol version of these musical songs rather yeah. than placing themselves within the role noah I, I can't believe you said that. It's very trained. I can't too. believe you said that. Um, so Professor Wagner comes to, to, I'm not sure he's doing it these days, but for many years he would come to Torrance and do master classes with high school students. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, always went because um, we, we're, we're friends. He was my professor, but I still defer to him and I still wanted to see his work sure. after many, many years. And he did say, to a particular student, but to an entire class, that one of the problems with with the auditions that the professors were seeing is that the students don't understand the difference between that they're auditioning for musical theater and theater, and not um, I don't I won't, one of the shows, it. but one of the competition yeah. shows. It's like you don't always mm -hmm. have to option up, dude. Right, and so yeah. look, if you if you're as an artist, if you're not as interested in plugging in to honoring someone else's work sure then create your own mm -hmm. go in go into pop go into rock uh go which i i have rock and roll and pop students as well and i love mm -hmm. working with them and they're that's a, it's a different style a different genre but even pop rock within musical theater although there are more stylistic options and choices to to to, to riff and to interpret and and all of that, uh, there still is not the option to not try to honor the character yeah. um, that that was created by by the team. It's interesting. Like uh, auditioning in theater has evolved in in the last few years mm -hmm. um, to the point where there's very few 
in-person auditions. It's mostly self-tapes and pre-screens and, and whatnot. How do you approach coaching someone? Because I assume you're coaching these people mostly over Zoom yourself. How do you approach the audition process through a screen or when there's not a real person to sing to or to yeah it's 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 difficult it's that it's a challenge but i have to say that i believe i know equity instituted i think early in may march or may of this year that the first only the first audition can be a taped audition Mm -hmm. at some point in the equity hiring process the live audition needs to occur so is how has that changed since when you were in phantom is that like some, when you auditioned for phantom how has like auditioned? There, were no, there were well of course there were no pre-screens mm -hmm. obviously right, people just show up in line and get in line right, right? so i did have my equity card when i mm -hmm. started the audition process for phantom of the opera and really what happened is i ended up um, I did, I was freelancing with an agent and I did, I did do a lot of, uh, summer stock. I had a lot of principal credits through mm -hmm. regional companies, summer stock. I even had understudy credits through Michigan opera theater for principal roles. So I was able to secure some representation and I did get a submission for the national tour of into the woods. And I was up for Cinderella and I had to learn steps of the palace in 14 hours without an accompanist and, <laughs> and, and go in and um this was the second audition and go in and actually sing for Stephen Sondheim where oh, you wow. enter it has to go dung 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 and you're like where do I come in <laughs> I I you know I managed to um on my little Casio I actually <laughs> I actually uh recorded the melody into the the device and just drilled it into my head there was no recording to listen to i mean mm -hmm. it, and and thankfully i have to make a point that it, it is really beneficial to be able to read music and to be able to sight read oh sure and to have some keyboard reference and that has really sadly your training in sight singing has really fallen by the wayside as a priority for those who are interested in pursuing musical theater uh, or yeah, singing. Some folks don't see it as necessary. Right. So I did this audition and uh, they were very interested in me for Cinderella. And once, once you get a callback at that level, it, it does, it does put you in a different loop or circle with sure. cast directors. So that led to uh an entree into johnson Liff, and zerman who were the casting agents at that time for les mis and phantom and i ended up in a face-to-face in-office non-performance meeting with jeffrey johnson he was having a conversation with me about what role in phantom i thought who was that Jeffrey Johnson of Johnson Liff and Zerman. Oh, excuse wow. me, excuse me. It's like come into the office, right? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, and once again, there was no. Uh, I was he like, "What do you want? You want Meg? You want Christine? Well, yeah, he was what like, do you, you know, want?" I think you see, he's like, "Oh, I see you've done point work. How yeah. about Meg? What about Meg?" And I was like, "No, no, I, I'm not a ballerina. I'm not. I'm mm -hmm. a singer, actor, 
dance is is the third tier sure. at this point in terms of my triple threat configuration, if you will. And then I ended up from that interview. So that was an interview, really. Yeah. And and once again, I think it's important to be able to this loops back to your your question, personality. Noah personality and showing who you are. Mm -hmm. I definitely was not there with any pretense or trying to like any <laughs> character and I didn't dress in a certain way. I was just very much myself. I mean, well. you were invited to go have lunch. I mean, you must have had a really good, I mean, you do have a really good personality, but they must have really liked you. I, I think that the interview was to see what type of communicator I was, who I was to get a mm -hmm. sense of who I was, to see if it was gonna be a chemistry match. Yeah, if you weren't a diva, anything like that. And, and, and I think that young people can spend more time on that. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's there's, there's a difference between can you sing the role, can you look good on stage, and are you someone that we wanna work with? Exactly, exactly. There's a, I have heard many opera, directors talk about their hiring process and there's one in particular i think it's joe buschetta i hope i'm pronounced i'm not sure he's the he was the artistic director of is there was there a company in sacramento it was a california company actually i don't know we're not really plugged into the sacramento world right there were some they were having world-class <laughs> opera people this was sure. this mm -hmm. was a, a number of years ago he would talk about the hiring process and that he knew when someone walked in the door, even before words were exchanged, whether or not he would be hiring them. It's all an audition. You know what? Like sometimes you just are like, this person has like star quality and you just are drawn to that person and you just know that they'll be the right fit for something. Sandra, I think you're right. My husband and I, we call it the it factor. Mm -hmm. sure. and, and I don't believe it can be taught yeah you just have it or you don't i mean like philippa sue is a good example i watched her um on broadway last summer and on in into the woods and i was just like following her the entire time like when she's on stage because you just are like i have to make a disclaimer about that someone can have the it factor on stage and mm -hmm. they may be very kind of mellow not a huge personality off stage mm-hmm that's what I've heard about, like, like uh, Steve Martin. Like my 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 grandpa w w used to be a urologist, and he, he he at one point he treated Steve Martin, and he and he he told he always tells me a story like he was not funny in my waiting room. <laughs> my husband has stories about interactions with um, Robin Williams, Martin Short, and Martin Short actually. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're kind of uh, Martin Short. No, but uh, other folks are kind of soft spoken off. Uh, yeah, people turn it on and off. Right, right. And exactly. And I know that my husband and I have conversations about people that he was famous people that he was their sound, he was their mixer, he was their engineer. So mm -hmm. he would have to be communicating with them either before, during, during intermission or after the show. And we would talk about just this, this, this gap between this brilliant creativity on stage and then the very mellow kind of humble somewhat introverted personality of mm. a particular star so i think the it factor um may not 
necessarily, someone may seem to have a very extroverted out there personality. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have this kind of undefinable, uh, a little bit of a, you know, mysterious quality mm-hmm. that makes a great, that makes a great performer. Right. Yeah, an introvert, extrovert, right. An extrovert, introvert. Exactly. So I ended up. Oh yeah. Let's get back to the, to the big wait, story. Wait a minute. I ended up at a Les Mis audition <laughs> for Cosette. In the meantime, I was still, I was starting to go to open calls, equity calls for, for, for Christine. Mm-hmm. And I clocked in a couple of those where, you know, you're getting up at the crack of dawn, you're sure. going and signing yeah. up the whole routine, hundreds of people around the block. Right. All Sing a high C in the morning, right? Uh, exactly. Exactly. I could have used the straw phonation back then. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> what ended up happening is I got a call from a friend of mine who was in Phantom in LA. So we have, for those who don't know, Phantom opened on the West End with Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman. The next company was Broadway, Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman. The third company, which was considered the first national tour was Los Angeles. Yeah. Michael Crawford had opened the show. And by that time, I think he, I can't speak personally, I'm, I'm speculating that he decided he probably needed a little bit of a break, right? Because it had Mm -hmm. been years, he had won the Tony Award. So he took a break from Los Angeles, but they knew that he was coming back. So Robert Guillaume was starring in um, the Los Angeles production production. So I knew if I knew someone in the show who I had coached with, and he gave me a heads up phone call saying, okay, should I say it? I haven't revealed Just say this. It. Whatever, whatever it is. Um, there were, they were not happy with the Christine's that they had cast. That's kind of the story of Christine. It's somewhat, that yeah. is, it is a revolving door. <laughs> of christine's in all of these well companies. no but it's like the 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 regular person isn't good enough so let's throw in someone new and then they then they steal the show that's right so well yes so there was i i don't know all the details politically mm-hmm. but he didn't and this this individual did not reveal to, to me too much of that at that time he just said you know they're i think they're looking to replace um the christine alternate standby in this company mm-hmm. to call your agent so I called my agent and because of that Jeffrey Johnson meeting, I, I happened to be in Los Angeles because my sister had just moved out here for a job and I was mm-hmm. visiting her. I was, I was located in New York City. I was New York City based. And I happened to be in LA. Sounds like the stars aligned. They completely. And my agent said, can you go to the theater? They want to see you. You're like, oh, uh, here I am. And I drove into Los Angeles from Orange County. I drove to the Amundsen Theater. And there were a few other people there. Um, It was a Thursday. They had just finished their understudy rehearsals. And there were a few other Christines that I bumped into backstage in the the restroom areas. (laughs) Uh, so I did, I did have some knots in my stomach for sure, but I have all with the to curly say, hair. Yeah. Were they all had, wearing okay, wigs and everything? Like my, I had like my, you know, 
hair in my thing. And was everyone like, wearing like a white gown? Like, yeah, I had like a white dress on. <laughs> yes, of course. The whole thing. I mean, I would probably do it differently now, but <laughs> I did do the white dress off the shoulder kind of look. I did do a nod to the character. Sure. Mm -hmm. Disney so bond or whatever. I was the last to audition. And the other uh, auditionees sang maybe half of a song. I sang the entire score. Ooh. And I, I, I knew they were interested. Mm -hmm. And the conductor, who was a little bit outspoken, um, I heard him <laughs> I heard him yell from the audience, well, oh, she's better than anybody else we've got. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. da. <laughs> anyway, that that I, I didn't put a lot of weight to that because it was just one voice and I knew it was the conductor. Yeah. And I think he was making the decisions, but it was interesting how they were a, a, a little bit unprofessional, how they were actually yeah. making comments to me, which is very atypical at audition, right? You typically do not get any kind yeah, of- Yeah, it seems yeah. cagey usually. No but I was kind of, I was in their theater. I was in their home territory, right? So yeah. I think they felt they felt free to just let it, let the comments fly mm. uh, good bad or ugly all right well let's skip to like what what was it like the first time going on uh first time going on well i was starring with robert guillaume and i basically got a knock on my dressing room door i believe it was a saturday and a knock came on my dressing room door maybe five or five thirty um you'll be going on tonight with mr guillaume mm. and it, it was it was it was terrifying and magical i was extremely nervous i but i was prepared i had been rehearsing mm -hmm. into the show for about three months at that point in time but you have to understand that with this type of situation I had not had an opportunity to sing with the orchestra. Yeah. I had not had an opportunity to run through the show with the other cast members, with the sets, costumes, wigs, shoes. Yeah, it's so much different doing it in jeans in isolation. Right. Sweatpants during during re Thursday rehearsals really yeah. was the extent mm -hmm. of it. So I think I did have a little bit of put in with a couple of I think I rehearsed on stage very briefly with a couple of things. I don't even remember if it was musical. Um, and I was I was on and it was I, I, I don't think I remember a lot of it because the yeah. adrenaline is and I think other performers talk about this because you're very much in your right brain when you're performing. Mm -hmm. And I don't have captured memories of every moment moment but i remember just feeling elated and it's a big accomplishment it really is you're rarely off stage as christine yeah the it, it, i think it may be maybe you guys would know i think it may be the one the or one of the most demanding roles in terms of stage time yeah. and repertoire uh, I was hot. <laughs> uh, there, the 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 costumes and wigs are very warm. Yeah, heavy, I assume. And 
but I do remember uh, now that um, your my brain is firing now with some memories. Sure. I do remember like the silence in the audience and with the orchestra before the cadenza in Think of Me. Interesting. They yeah. were like waiting for it. They were like, what's, that, what's she going to do? That's one of Christine's biggest moments. It is. And just, I remember taking in that moment of silence and darkness mm -hmm. of not being able to see the audience, feeling the warmth of the spotlight and kind of taking a, as deep a breath as I was able to with the corset and <laughs> and playing to the back of the house with that cadenza. And I I remember there was a part of my my left brain, my my rational brain that was still kind of firing at that point, thinking mm -hmm. kind of like doing a I like had this fast flashing of memories of doing scales with my first voice teacher and singing my first coloratura arias and mm. just like this flash of like everything I had done to those previous the previous decade was culminating in kind of this moment really mm. if that makes sense yeah that's 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 amazing it must be yeah feel like a total full circle reach the end of one road uh, experience so there's a rumor about Phantom of the Opera that at the end of um, the Phantom of the Opera theme song that the last note that Christine sings is recorded. Is that, that true? That entire song is a track. Oh, wow. Okay. Because you are backstage. You're running around, right? You are running around. You're climbing ladders to go up the travelator. You're crossing the travelator. There is a, there is a double... Uh, I'm not sure how they're doing it in London now or in mm -hmm. the other productions around the world. It may be different because I know they're scaled down. But because Los Angeles was the Amundsen was rebuilt, the stage and the the mm -hmm. below the stage was was built, all the hydraulics to accommodate the the production. It was very complex and a little a little bit dangerous backstage. So but there, it takes a lot of pressure off of it too. You know that it's recorded. Does. You're like, okay, it, good. It, it absolutely does. Though I probably most most performances I could have done it live. Mm -hmm. um, the exception would have been if I'd had a cold or or you know wasn't feeling quite on top of it. But it it was kind of a relief to actually not have to sing that song live. So yes, the whole song. Yes, the entire song. song. Mm -hmm. Is it lip sync? Yes. Yeah. It's like RuPaul's Drag Race. Wow. I didn't know that. Like, I, yeah, like I, I get it for that, that high, that last big major high note to be um, kind of um, smoke and mirrored. But yeah, I didn't know the whole, the whole song. Interesting. I mean, you, you should see them there at the bottom and then all of a sudden they're at the top and you're like, well, how did they get there? And that By makes running, sense. Yeah. That they, they probably just like ran to the thing. I went into the studio to record my track for the Phantom of the Opera, and uh, I did it in two takes. Thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> um, but I still, I still have my mixed tracks with um, with Michael Crawford. I think one wow. of them might be up on YouTube. I'm not sure if they, yeah. if they flagged it. Um, and but how I, was it working with Michael? Uh, outstanding. He's the guy. Outstanding. Yeah, the I, Phantom. Out, outstanding. I had not had any experience 
even close to that prior to my starring with him, uh, nor post. Mm-hmm. He was a, well, personally, hilarious, extremely funny, uh, wildly intelligent, wildly funny, uh, consummate professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good scene partner, too. Yes. However, he this this uh, exemplifies what I was talking to you earlier about being in character. If you have an MO of using your own personality and your own personal emotions as the basis upon which you perform your character, that is not sustainable. And you should not do that with the character of the Phantom of the Opera. No, no. especially if you're a crazy murderer. So yeah. particularly when I was able to observe him during Music of the Night, I was Christine is faced upstage and the Phantom is kind of, is, is facing more downstage, cheating mm-hmm. a little bit to the side. I was able to observe him every performance. And even though he was looking at me, he was not, really looking at me if that makes sense he was very busy with the choices he was making that he knew would read to the audience Mm. a lot of cheating and thus his brilliance so you you kind of touched on this earlier and i feel like i want to ask you i feel like you're someone who's kind of uniquely common uh suited to comment on this um why are there no more cadenzas in musicals these days what happened to the Uh, cadenza People just like belters now, I think. They got to they gotta infuse it into modern musicals. I want to hear, you know, I am Alexander. It's become, oh, this is a great question. I have to think about how to respond appropriately. Well, I think the word cadenza is specific to opera. Yes, it's mostly opera. But I just want to hear pop musicals with cadenzas. Pop musicals, cadenzas. I don't know. I guess more just like a riff off. Yeah. 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 I think in pop rock, you've got riffs. Um, In Byzantine music, you have Mm -hmm. melismatic melisma passages. Dinamese. Right? In almost every style of music, there is, and I think the verbiage is different. And it's obviously going to sound different, but the point is still the same. You're adding ornamentation Mm -hmm. to notes, right? You're adding embellishments and ornamentation. So uh, sadly, in in musical theater and Broadway, we don't have as much crossover right now between lyrical singing, more classical styles, traditional styles, outside revivals. We don't have a lot of new material that's being crafted for lyrical voices. And that makes me a little sad because lyrical singing is more sustainable just Mm. from a vocal technique, vocal health hygiene, aging voice pedagogy perspective. Lyrical singing is more sustainable in one's mature years. You wouldn't, you, you're not going to see a lot of people my age belting on Broadway. Hmm. So we don't have roles, as many roles being written for mature women and mature men. Um, and I have to tell you that, that high level 
voice therapists and speech pathologists that work to help rehabilitate injured professional voices. There is a consensus among them that healthy belting is an oxymoron. Mm, yeah. You, you, and we got to do it, right? Like sometimes we got to, got to eat chocolate cake. Like we got <laughs> to eat sweets, even though, you know, sugar is not a good thing. So Especially when you're in your car on a road trip. Right? <laughs> um, and I belt, uh, I, I belt, I have to, I'm belting almost daily demonstrating sure. students, right? But it is, it does take its toll on the voice, mm -hmm. as can opera singing. All right. I don't want to be insinuating that that you can't have vocal injuries and anomalies with any style of singing. There are so many factors and it's complex. But I can tell you that belting, I think, does get more challenging as the voice ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think what we really need is just a, a contemporary musical about an opera diva. I love that. Are there any composers watching? I'm volunteering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? We'll know. We'll never know. Until now. Like, I, don't, I feel like as much as I'm a hater of Moulin Rouge, I feel like that show is suitable for a thousand cadenzas. I totally agree. But like, you know, The Greatest Showman, they should have had like, when, yeah. if you've seen it, they're like, Jenny Lynn's coming. She's singing. Here we go. She's yeah, the, the best opera, opera singer. And then she's like, oh, and you're like, yeah, what is this? What is this? Yeah. Never yeah, suddenly she's <laughs> yeah. And we're like, no, no, that's not an opera song. And see, we're trying to be like, well, I think we're breaking the rules of being historically accurate. So Jenny Lind, I mean, clearly was classical singer. So sure. Yeah, sure, but, but it's not the it sound. And I know. I, you know, the, I, I want to bring it back. I want to bring it back. I know. Yeah, that's the thing. I wish we had more of a balance. I think right now we don't have. It kind of used to be, you know, we had classical opera styles, and then we had yeah, music used to be kind theater, of a and they kind of, of they kind of circumvented very beautifully mm -hmm. with, like, with some of the more and like the golden era, the traditional, and then mm -hmm. you know, Phantom, which was written in the same format as a golden era integrated romantic yeah. golden era integrated book musical by Andrew on Parker. another level. Yeah, I think he must have read Richard Kislon's The Making, I think it's The Making of a Musical or Making of a Musical. Uh, yeah. It talks kind of like about the formula behind some of the golden era traditional musicals. But we did have a beautiful, and another thing that we had that I think that young artists um, are not able to experience now. When I came into my professional career, I think I mentioned earlier, I was actually understudying musical theater roles with opera companies that made it part of their season, particularly their summer season, to do a musical. Mm, yeah. And now we don't- Kind of the marriage of the two. Right? We don't have as much crossover now. I would love it if the opera did like Showboat or something like that, you know, like yeah. put it on. I mean, have you, are you familiar with the Pacific Opera Project in Los Angeles? I've heard of it. You're I've not- just started no. I've just started to go see their shows and like they did uh, like Pirates of Penzance recently, but their whole project is about doing like broad and accessible opera to attract people who, you know, aren't a typical spectacle tuxedoed like old right. style opera fan. Right. And they're doing a lot of operas in English and a lot of ways to like bring more people who are into musicals into the world of opera. I think it's brilliant. So 
Uh, one thing before we head to our lightning round is I, yeah. I want to ask you a question. So, you know, in past the point of no return, when Christine is singing, this is like, I'm always wondering, and she's the singing with the Phantom. Does she even know that, when does she know that it's the Phantom? Does she know at the very beginning when he starts singing? Does she realize in the When he's middle? revealed. Or when did he like pulls his hood off? She, she knows. From the very beginning, I think even, she even knows after he puts on like his Pianji voice. Yeah, I think she knows. Would she really be down there with I someone think else? She knows. I think she knows. I think she's in a little denial. I think she's in a little performance fantasy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yes, the re the reality hits at the at the at the unveiling. Oh, for sure. <gasps> but um, but the unveiling. But I do mm -hmm. hope it returns um somewhere in this country in some form. Phantom will have a yeah. rebirth. Maybe Las Vegas will come back. I hope it does. Um, in the meantime, I'm hoping that the rights are more available for some regional companies to do it. And mm -hmm. I hope we- What do you think? Like I met someone who did Phantom in high school and it's like, in high school, can you really do that? There are a lot of Los Angeles, um, schools in Los Angeles County that have done Phantom. And I know this because when my, when my students go to the Jerry Herman Awards and um, what is the other high school the award? Yes. They're inevitably There's always a phantom, yeah. They'll come back mm -hmm. and say the person that did Phantom won the award. The person who did Christine won the award. I mean, that's a show where you choose it based on who you already know is going to play the Phantom and Christine, pretty much. It, it yep. does. It does. And I think it also shows that there is value. Once again, there is value for young artists to be cross-training in different vocal yeah. styles. Mm -hmm. And I just I, feel like it's such a tough show for high school because it's so high budget and 75% of the singing is done by three people. Yeah. So you've got to have um you've got to have some really competent, talented, young, pre-professional artists to pull it off, I think. Yeah, for real. I really think you do. But if, if kids plug in to some kind of training and discipline in study with voice in the same way they would with gymnastics or skating or pre-professional ballet, mm -hmm. or I'm naming the things that my daughters might made my daughters. <laughs> um, you know, if you plug in to, um, to training much like other disciplines or to be a violinist or piano teacher, I think mm -hmm. that some people don't realize that, that voice study is, is, is no less, uh, there's no less of a commitment to achieve excellence and greatness, right? It's a discipline. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see more people train. Uh, I think the, the, the high schools would have more options of performing some of the more lyrical musicals that are out there, including Phantom, if the students were, were training a little bit more and encouraged to train, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, All right. let's transition into our theater award lightning round. No, I'm There's scared. Fire questions. We're going to start with Tamara. Who is your favorite Broadway diva? Favorite Broadway diva. Favorite Broadway diva. There's so many to choose from. Okay, I'm going to give it up for Idina Menzel. Sure. She's yeah. the belting queen. I am going to give it up for Idina Menzel. I am going to put in second place. I am going to put in second. Well, 
can, I don't know if I can even compare them. It's it's a little bit apples and oranges. But if I may pick another more lyrical, sure, go ahead. Yeah. I'm, I've selected a belter. I am going to put out there the late Rebecca Luker, whom oh, I knew personally yeah. and worked with her. And we were not colleagues. We never did a show together, but we were in the same audition circles. And and I was always a fan. And she her mother so beautiful was outstanding um i did did her mother was her mother a performer uh no no her her as mother in ragtime as oh yes yes and in secret garden and mm -hmm. our, our past crossed at michigan opera theater mm -hmm. um early in our career so yeah what's next? all right uh next what is your dream role relies on hamilton <laughs> Sure. She's got some great songs. Yeah. Which is not likely to happen. But you know, it could happen in your house. With one your never knows. One <laughs> never knows. But or yeah. On Zoom. Yeah, that would be on Zoom. so completely, completely different than my current, you know, curriculum vitae, my current. Right. It would really be something. I picked something that would be a stretch both vocally and dramatically, but how fun. Yeah, that, that's, that'd be such an exciting role. All right, next question. What do you think is the most overused college audition song that you wish people would retire? I'm thinking, give me a moment. There's, prob have, there's yeah, probably I, I have several that come to mind. Yeah. So like I'm, the first I'm one that just like pops in. The, the, the one that pops into my head is pulled from the Adams Family Musical. Uh, yeah. yeah, pulled yeah. in a new direction. And I yeah. went to school with Andrew Lippa. Yeah, he's 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 nothing a against him, but people are just overusing yeah. it. And I so Andrew, I love your work. You're brilliant. Song is overused. We do not <laughs> want to hear it anymore. What else? What about for what about for, what about for boys? Santa Fe from Newsies. Ugh, Ugh, that's what I, that's yeah. what I thought. I can't believe people are still doing that. Like that song is, it, I feel like it's the tenor cliche. Especially like, with the oh, last note, so hard to hit. Totally the, the tenor cliche. And I, here's the thing with these overdone songs. Well, if you, if you do them, if you do them really, really, really well. Yeah, then they'll connect. By all means. But that is often not the case. But yeah. if you can do it really well, then you can probably do it really well with a different song. So I agree. I agree. And great point. I think the auditioners just get tired of hearing yeah, it. They'll, yeah, they'll check out. They'll be like, oh, another one of these. All exactly. Right. What song, moment, or show that always makes you cry? As a performer or an audience member? Either one. Either one. Um, I'll do both. Wishing you were somehow here again. Oh, yes, that's, that's all the way up there. Favorite, favorite, favorite moments. I I still never tire of hearing the song, singing the song. I get emotional. I get goosebumps. Uh, I people may say it's a cliche, overdone song in of itself, but. Um, no, I always tear up whenever Still I hear it. adore it. As an audience member, 
There's a particular song, I can't think of the name of it, but it's from Sondheim's musical Passion. Mm. And it's done by Donna Murphy. One of the Fosca songs? Yeah. Just. What a tragic character. In a very unusual way. Heart-wrenching. Can't think of it. That's all right. Maybe what I'm connecting to here is that there are certain artists that do impact on us kind of almost no matter what they're singing we get moved and you never you never know bring it you never know in a live performance setting and this is one of the things that no ai will ever no no streaming of of musicals or anything will ever be able to capture or place although i'm not discouraging that but there is something about live theater that is a mystery and it is it cannot be experienced anywhere else and you never know when you go into the theater what performance what song what monologue what scene Mm -hmm. work and what artist is going to just just touch the the depths of your soul yeah right and finally the most important question of all can you recall the single greatest experience you ever had at the theater this could be on stage be off stage in the audience uh watching watching a a student the single greatest experience or moment you've ever had at the theater Uh, yes um i remember (laughs) i remember after having clocked in I would say about 14 years of parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was the master sound engineer at the Pantages Theater for many years. I took my daughters to see Phantom of the Opera. Mm. And I remember having one daughter to my right and one daughter to my left and watching the look on their faces yeah. when the overture began. Mm for the musical that they knew that I had met their so crucial, yeah. doing and and they knew they knew about my my journey and my experience mm-hmm. that sounds so and special just sitting with them during that show and and seeing their reactions and for about 24 hours post show I was a mom rock star in their mm-hmm. eyes right I <laughs> earned it so that was a special experience yes yeah that sounds really meaningful Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming yes, on our show, so Tamara. Much. It's been so nice getting to know you and chatting with you and uh, hearing your, your perspectives on everything. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Sandra. It was a delight. Let's go see some shows together in Los yes, Angeles. Sir. That would be fun. Yeah, I'm totally. going to be down uh, see my grandma in Santa Monica. In a I mean, weeks. yes. Hit me up. Let's go. Yeah, I'll Film DM it. you. We'll do our own little <laughs> quick social media. Yeah, I hear Les Mis is coming back. Yeah, I totally want to see it. Is it is. really? Yeah, it's, it's coming, coming up to the Pentagius in August. Amazon, maybe. Or no, the no, Pentagius, yeah. Oh, in August. Gosh. That's going to be like a comfort, a comfort yeah. Yeah. to be back at the Pentagius. Like totally. things are definitely back to normal when that happens. Broadway yeah, is back for the fifth time. <laughs> we're we're saying back. It. We're back. Okay, well, we may be we may be three amigos at yeah, why not? in Los Angeles, everybody. Like that'd be fun. You know? 
do you have anything you want to promote before we uh, before we sign off? Oh, thank you so much for asking. I do have um, my studio, the studio of Chamber Glazer that I run, and I have some wonderful uh, systems set up to work with students online from anywhere who are anywhere in the world. I'm based physically in Los Angeles, and I am doing in-person lessons again in uh, the Los Angeles area, Torrance specifically. And my company, College Audition Mentors, um, I've been doing college prep successfully for 25 years now before it became a cottage industry. Mm. And I am coach of the coaches. The, there are people now that are coaching for college audition prep that were students of mine that right. get into programs that went on to have careers that are bringing it for a full circle and coaching themselves. So that if must feel lovely. interested, um, I don't have five to $10,000 packages. I do a la carte services and I'd like to make the services affordable. Um, and it's very personalized and very kind of concierge based. Um, so if anyone is interested in uh, BFA musical theater programs, BA theater, BFA theater programs, or Bachelor of Music vocal performance programs, my students have gotten into every major program in the country in all those degree programs. So I would love to help and encourage and mentor students along. And I have a team too, so it's exciting. Awesome. So thank you for letting me plug. Yes, well, thank you so much. Yeah, and we've got all of your links in the description of this episode for people to click on. Awesome. And thank you for <laughs> listening to the Theater World Podcast. This has been such, such a fun episode, and we'll see you next time on the Theater World Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.